started in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Good afternoon, everyone. So we do need to get started only because um, they have a servants meeting today. So we want to get started early so we can finish early. So um, I'm going to be doing a two-part uh, mini-series on identity. We'll start today and then we'll finish it next week. Um, and we're going to take two complete different uh, viewpoints. Today, the perspective is going to be on the world. Uh, what is it that the world tells us? What does it feed us about our identity? Okay, and so from this, we're going to look at a false self-identity in the eyes of the world. And then we'll take the other side next week. So to get started, we need to ask ourselves, what is identity? And so the definition of identity, pay attention to it, it says, what you believe, what you believe to be the truest thing about you, whatever it is that you that defines who you are. So again, what you believe to be the truest thing about you, whatever it is, that defines who you are. And so when we ask people, what is your identity? You'll get, very, uh, you'll get various answers. You'll get some that will talk about their hobbies, their interests. They'll say things like, I'm a biker, I'm a runner, I'm a dancer, I'm a singer, right? I'm a sports player, I'm a collector of some sort. And then some will actually be very passionate about their profession. They're, they'll say, I'm a lawyer, a doctor, engineer, a mechanic. So they define themselves based on, and pay attention to this, what they do rather than who they are. They are two very different concepts. And this is why we need to separate identity with who you are with what you do here on earth. Two very distinct things, okay? Because if identity defines who you are, then in essence, you are saying that these things define you. You are saying that your profession is who you are, and it's not. It's what you do, okay? So what are these things then, the professions and what we do? They're just levels of your identity. There are things that you occupy your time with, Okay? But it isn't who you are, but rather what you do. An interest or a hobby is what you enjoy doing in your life. A profession is what you do to make a living. They don't define you. Okay? Because what we're going to realize with identity, identity affects two very crucial things about us. One, it controls our internal way of thinking, our thoughts our mentality, our mindset, and our outwardly behavior, our actions. So at the end of the day, our identity definitely controls how we act, what we do. Okay? Um, for example, depending on your circumstance, you will have a false identity of who you think you are. Okay, so here's an example. Let's say we have a set of twins. One of them gets adopted into a very rich family, let's say a royal family. The other one doesn't get adopted, lives off the streets. Are they going to live the same life? Are they going to act differently? Are they going to behave differently? Absolutely. The one who identifies as being rich 
What's, how are they going to live their life? Are they going to think about their next meal? Is it a concern? Is it a bother? Their mindset and behavior is in complete peace. What they're going to eat is never anything that they're concerned about. But what, what about the one that's poor? What happens to this individual? They live a life of survival, of struggle. They're more likely to do what? Steal. They're more likely to, to what? To do things to get that food. Right? They're, they're hangry constantly. They're constantly in a mindset and a behavior of flux. State of anxiety, stressed, unrest. Not to mention all the other things that are hindered. Their upbringing, their education, even the clothes on their back. Everything gets hindered. And just for a direct example, what if right now you just discovered on your cell phone that you became an instant millionaire, that you won the lottery and you won $10 million? Will your next actions and thoughts change? Will you live a very different life? Right? Why? Because we're so concerned, we're so worried about what we do in our lives that it starts to overshadow our identity. It starts to consume us. It starts to become the object of self. And we have to be careful of this. Whether you're a millionaire, whether you are poor on the street, whether you are famous, whether you are a nobody, we're all the same. And this is what I'm going to get to. Our identity does not change. Okay? But what does change? What we do, not who we are. Right? What we do is very different. Okay? Uh, what and who else can form our worldly false identity? What other things? So we know it's money, for sure. Also, society, the world, humanity, our parents. Siblings, peers, boss, colleagues, they're all influencing who we are, okay? And then what do we do with all of these experiences and interactions? We take them in, and then we mash them together, and we come up with an ideology. And we believe that that becomes our identity. We believe this is who we are. When in reality, it's not. Okay? Um, and another way you could look at it is the reverse. Think of the book of Job. And what happens if all these things were taken away from us? How would we react? We were stripped down to the bare necessities. Would we be different? Would we act differently? Will we be completely so scared and fearful of everything that has been lost to us that we wouldn't know how to live? We wouldn't know what to do the next day? That's how we have to really remember the things that we have. That's when we kiss our hands, right? I mean, I mean, I mean. We thank God of what we have and what we don't have, right? We have to remember that there is good, very good things that we don't have on purpose. It's a good thing that we don't have everything. It's a good thing that God doesn't give us everything that we uh, want, not need, want, or desire. Not only does it keep us humble, but it helps us to uncover our, our identity, 
to remind us of who we are, not what we do. Okay? Uh, It says in Proverbs, um, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What we believe is very different than the reality. If we believe in something so greatly, it starts to form our false identity. We start to believe this is who I am. If I lose my job, I lose my livelihood. I lose everything about me. I'm no longer a person. I have no purpose. I have no functionality. Many of us, if we have lost our jobs tomorrow, will we be the same person? Yes, we are the same person. It doesn't change anything. We've heard of the thing, I think, therefore I am. If I believe it, it must be true. So what you believe to be true doesn't make it a reality. Okay? And this is a constant battle, a war that goes on in our heads all the time. And unfortunately, I'm going to give you some examples. The first one is a very negative, devastating example. What if a child has been called dumb or stupid or ugly their entire life? Would that child believe it? Absolutely. But does it make it true? Absolutely not. So the question is, why does the child hold on to that? Why does the child believe in what their parent is telling them or what even a stranger tells them? or their teacher, or their close friend? Why do they hold on to that? Because we're the representations of Christ. So when someone says that, they believe at that moment that Christ is telling them that, when it's not true. Because Christ made us in one family. We are the children of God. So why do they believe this? Lack of truth. And who's truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is the truth. It's the lack of Christ in that individual who's saying these things. They say these things out of the flesh of man rather than in the spirit of God. Okay? And believe it or not, this is the cause of all the sins we have. It started from the beginning of man, Adam and Eve. Eve believed something that wasn't true by the serpent. And I want you to pay attention to this. It's very interesting. God told Adam and Eve what in Genesis 2? He says, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Black and white statement. That's a very clear commandment. You eat evil, you become evil. And people say, why why is he making a restriction? You can eat all the trees, why not this one? Because think of it logically. It makes sense. You eat and you partake of evil, it becomes a part of you. A good father protecting his child from evil. Don't play in the street. Why do we tell our children don't play in the street? You'll die. Don't partake of evil. Why? Because you'll die. And it says what? You shall surely die. Very clear. No gray there. And then the next chapter, look what the serpent says. 
Genesis 3. The servant says to the woman, you will not surely die. Excuse me? God just told me I will surely die. No, you will not surely die. Oh, which one is it? If I am firm in my identity, then I know which one's the truth and which one is the lie. I know the difference. If I am what? Founded in truth. And then he goes on and says, For God knows that in the day you eat of, eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be, pay attention to this, like God, knowing good and evil. That's interesting. When did we become like God? Go back to Genesis 1. What does it say? Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So if Eve understood who she was, she would know these two facts. If I eat of this evil, I will die. Fact number one. Number two, I'm already like God. Why am I like God? Because does God know evil? Does he participate in evil? No. So why would he want us to do that? So that commandment is to make him more like him. That's the beauty of our God. I don't want you to eat of this tree because I want you to be more like me. But he fell on both of those accounts, Adam and Eve, not just Eve. Okay? Why does he fall on both of these? She wasn't firm in her identity. She did not know who she was. She forgot. And this is what we do every day of our lives. We forget who we are. I don't care if you forget what you do. I don't care if all the things you do change around you, your circumstances, your physical life, but what's the one thing that cannot change is who you are, your internal identity in Christ. And if Eve knew this, she would have never have fallen. And if we know this, we are never going to fall. But we are going to fall because we forget. Okay? It says in St. Basil Liturgy perfectly, it says it so beautifully. It says, death which entered the world by the envy of the devil... He was jealous of us. This is why Satan tempted us, because he was jealous. Eve was already in the image and likeness of God, and the serpent fell because he always in, what? envied the image and likeness of God as an archangel. This is what he wanted. And here's the ironic part. The serpent fell from the envy of what he never had, and he made Eve fall from what she already had which is the image and likeness of God. It's very ironic. We were taking away what we already had, and the devil was never given or granted that permission. So he took us with him. You will fall like I did. Okay? But then, does Christ give up on us? Does he make a new creation? Does he say, look what they did? You know, like when, when, when you have siblings and you tell one, don't touch the other one, and you turn around for a split second, what happens? Right? That's what we did. And God said, forget it. I want another set of kids. Forget it. I'm going to make another humanity. They don't listen. No, that's not, that's not our God. Our God is with, with us from the beginning. And he knew this was going to happen. And he says, they're still worth it. We're still worth it. That's our loving God. You're still worth it. And that's why it says in John 8, 
If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's freeing to know that our God's in control. And what do we free ourselves from? The untruth. Ourselves. Our false self-identity. Our false beliefs about who we are based on what the world tells us. Eve had the wrong belief in who she was because her identity did not match her belief at that moment. If she fully comprehended that she is a child of God and like God, she would have never fallen. Her belief system would have been grounded in truth, in Christ. That's why our lives, our decisions, and our actions are driven by the belief we have of ourselves. And if our beliefs are not true, then we are going to make wrong decisions. And I'm going to pause here for a couple minutes and talk about the youth of our church. We've known, uh, we've heard of Archie talking about the youth that have left our church for several generations. And the questions we have to ask ourselves is why is this happening? And of course, none of us have all the answers, but there are some things we need to consider. One of them is they leave because they feel judged and believe that their sins, pay attention to this, are tied to their identity. They believe that their sins define them. They don't separate the two. So what does this cause? This cause them to feel what? Permanently broken. That they can never be whole. They can never be fixed. That because their sins define them, when they make those mistakes, they can never be recovered. Right? They feel defiled. They feel like they've been tossed to the side to the wayside. Okay? And all they want is to be what? Accepted and forgiven. But they feel like that, that can never happen. They feel like they can never be accepted nor forgiven. And again, I want to make sure I'm clear here. I am not saying this is what the church is saying or doing. None of that. What I'm saying is we can't deny their feelings. This is how they feel. So when they come into the hospital, the church, they want to be admitted. What's that? Accepted. And then they want to feel comforted, loved. And then they want to be healed, which is forgiven. So what's our jobs? No judgment. Just love. That's our jobs. We are not here to judge. We're here to love. That's all we do. Who's going to judge better than the merciful, loving God? Let him take care of it. Our job is to just what? To do what we were created to do. We were created in his love. So now we want you to what? Reciprocate it. Now love. You were born in love. Now go ahead and love. That's our jobs. Is to do what we were born to do. Love. And we, this isn't something I'm making up. This is something that's been in scripture. If we think of the right thief. Longinus, who what? Took the spear to Christ. Instantly forgot. The one who speared Christ became a saint. Moses the Ethiopian. 
right? And then we come to the sinful woman. What does it say about the sinful woman? God doesn't deny her sins. God says, though she sinned much, much is forgiven. Instantly, in a moment of time, all her, everything that she's done was forgiven because she loved much. So if we love much, we cover the multitudes of sins of our brothers and sisters. Love covers sins. That's it. It's that simple. It says, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him, truth, who created him, us. So how do we, what's the solution? How do we change our wrong beliefs? Through the knowledge of the truth. We are born into the renewal of knowledge, truth, Christ, who created us. Okay? And we know that uh, to change a behavior or action, how people treat one another, how do you fix that? How do you work on that? It starts with a what? It starts with a belief, and then the action follows suit. So by changing our core belief first, every behavior comes from a core belief. So if we change and we want to transform behavior, we must transform mindset first. It has to come from the mind first. If we change in how we think, then our action behaviors will follow thereafter. But every action, every behavior, all of that comes from a core belief. You believe it in here. So this has to change before the action behavior has to change. So we want to see a physical change, a transformation. We must first change our interior belief and our outer actions will follow thereafter. And it's always the lack of knowledge. It's never the lack of the truth. Never. It's never the lack of Christ. It's always what? The lack of what we think comes from us. Never comes from Christ. That's why it says in Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's James 1. And then this false self-identity, which many of our youth fall into, and many adults as well, is what's causing the number one pandemic of this generation. What is that? What do you guys think that is? Mental illness. Let's talk about mental illness. There is, a, let's, let's just be very blunt and very obvious. There is a constant spiritual warfare going on over your identity. Every single day, there is a fight. And it's a spiritual warfare. On one side, we hear the negative thoughts. And I want to make sure we understand that. Can the devil control our thoughts? No. He can only do what? Suggest. So can the devil suggest negative thoughts? Absolutely. But what do we do with those negative thoughts? Do we entertain it? Or do we cut it off at the root? We have a choice. Right? As, uh, have you guys heard of the book, Our Thoughts Determine Our Lives? Well, the author, Elder Thaddeus, says the following. 
Our, our thoughts determine our whole life. Our life depends on the kind of thoughts we nurture. If our thoughts are destructive, we are drawn into a whirlpool of endless thoughts that will drown us. We will have neither peace nor tranquility. If our thoughts are calm, quiet, and kind, then our life will be the same and we will have peace within us. It will radiate from us and influence all beings around us. And then what happens when these negative thoughts starts to, we start to believe them. We start to think that this is true about us. It gives rise to negative beliefs, then gives rise to negative outcomes. Beliefs, behaviors, out, uh, actions. Don't let the thought give birth to something worse. You have to cut it off. And what are these negative beliefs? Which didn't exist before. Anxiety, stress, fear, worry, guilt, shame, dis despair. Never comes from God. It comes from an incorrect belief of who we are in Christ. This happened with Adam and Eve. What happened the moment Adam and Eve knew they broke the commandment? God didn't have to say a word. What did they do immediately thereafter? They ran from God and hid in fear. How are they running from God? They were just in communion with God. They were walking in the cool of the day, in the midst of the day. And now all of a sudden they run from God and they what? They hide themselves in fear. Are they supposed to be fear of their loving God? Was it meant to be that way? But all of a sudden they gave rise to fear. They gave rise to all these mental illnesses and some are more extreme than others, of course. But this is where it came from. The idea of the lack of confidence, self-esteem we have in Christ. So if mental illness is an internal condition, what external platform matches and can potentially contribute to this false interior of self? What matches mental illness? Social media. Right? Evangelism. Showing people what it is to have a, a, a good spiritual foundation, spread the good news. All of these things are good, but then there is a bad to it, which we're all, I'm sure, aware. I'm not on social media. I'm just going by what others tell me. What does social media consistently try to advertise? A false self of identity. And you're going to notice the words that they use. It's about your brand, your style, your looks, your ideology. What is the key word there? Your. It's all about what? Self. It's, the, it's this what? Idolatry. This vainglory you make yourself of a false god. That it's all about you. But what's the reality? What do we, what do we talk about every Sunday here in liturgy? That we're a one body in Christ. We take communion as what? One body of Christ. So social media is causing the fragmentation in the body of Christ by idolizing self. 
We have to remember that we are one in Christ. And we influence each other, whether we like it or not. And that influence can be morally devastating or spiritually uplifting. We decide what we do with that. It's an amazing, amazing power that God gave us, that we love and we influence each other to bring us up, not down. So what is our identity? What is the truest thing? I want us to memorize this. It's John 1, 12 through 13. And every youth and every one of our kids needs to hear this. It comes from John 1, 12 through 13. As many as received him to them, he gave them the right to become children of God. That is our truest belief in ourselves. That's our identity. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So our one fact, one truth that we know is our identity, that we are born of God as children of God. And that can never go away. From the moment you come into existence to your last breath here on earth, you are the child of God, and that never changes. And if we look in the eyes as Christians and we see this world filled of children of God, our behavior will start to change. When we start to see every single person as a child of God, we will view people very differently. And what implication is this? This is one that I'm going to say it twice. Our identity is based on who he is and not on who I am. I'm going to say that again. Our identity is based on who he is and not on who I am. What does that mean? That our source, God, is greater than ourselves. Let him take care of everything else. We just love. He will take care of the rest. That's very freeing. And we're going to end here. I'll cut it short. It says, the devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. So this is a message of hope and a reminder to us all that you are not defined by your sins. They are just moments of weakness. They are moments that we forget about our creator and our identity, just like Adam and Eve did. Because it doesn't define who you are and it doesn't determine your value. What defines you, what determines your true intrinsic value is your identity in Christ, a child of God. So our jobs as Christians, as parents, as children of God is to remind everyone who they are and who they belong to. And I really believe, I really believe this, that the most dangerous threat to Satan is us realizing the true identity of who we are and to whom we belong to. When we hold firm to our identity, that's when Satan fears us. Because we're already in the loving grace and bosom of our Father. And if Satan knows that, he can't touch us. Mentally, physically, spiritually. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I'm sorry I cut it short, but I think we do have a, um, a meeting. We have a servants meeting. 
and the kids are coming out. Uh, so any questions? I, I have a comment, Henry. Yeah. First, th thank you. I mean, I think a lot of what you said is, is really good in terms of emphasizing the, some of the pitfalls of lack of awareness of identity. I wanted to push back, if, and I apologize, no, but on, on the issue of mental illness, because I think, it, I think there's an important distinction, at least in my mind, to be, to be made. I, obviously not an authority on this, but my understanding is that <clears throat> there certainly are some elements of lack of identity causing this tailspin of negative thoughts and, and so forth. But there is also, you know, uh, like even in the Bible, we see examples of people who are possessed or mm -hmm. overtaken by mental issues or mental illnesses and, and so forth. So I think there is like an element of it that has to be acknowledged as like a, a medical or or Absolutely. physical ailment or illness. And, and yes, there is a lot of, even on that level, there's a lot of work that has to be done and a lot of good that can be done with, with the realization of one's identity in Christ. But that's not always, and of course, Christ is the one who ultimately heals, whether it's through medication or through therapy or through a spiritual act of, or you know, a, a miracle of some sort. But there is an element to me mental illness that's not simply, in my mind, like just a loss of that perspective on identity. I just, I think that's kind of maybe important. Uh, yeah, to, so uh, when I'm saying mental illness here, I'm talking about anxiety, stress, that we all have of it. We all have it at different degrees. But yes, there are ones that are the extreme, yeah. that they need medication, they need to see therapy, absolutely. Yeah, but I was talking about it in reference to we all have it. Yeah, we no, all have and, a certain and, level. And, and actually on, on that, that element of, of anxiety and so forth, I absolutely agree with you because like from personal experience, when I've had issues with anxiety, I find that anxiety stems through, it's like a slippery slope of negative thought. Yeah. And, you know, if I was able to just hijack that, sorry, in a Middle Eastern church to say something like that, but if I was able to hijack that and, yeah. and abruptly understand who I was in Christ, a lot of that negative, ne negativity and uh, unhealthy thought would be, would be stopped. Absolutely. So I think that's that's certainly an important yeah. an important point to make. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I I apologize. The mental illness I'm talking about here is what we all feel. It's not the medically extreme side. Yeah. Any other questions?